What is the role of biophysics in drug development and drug discovery? Well, it's trees, it's it's light, it's nice, and then it's physics. <laughs> Shit. Uh, but actually, it's it's a really cool combination because you use the physical um, measurement, the physical interpretation to understand the biology. It's, it's really fascinating. In this episode, I speak with Dr. Thomas Schubert, who is CEO of TwoPaint, a provider of biophysical outsourcing solutions for the pharmaceutical industry. Dr. Schubert discusses the role of biophysics in drug development and the importance of outsourcing in the pharmaceutical industry. Biophysics is that branch of knowledge that applies the principles of physics and chemistry and the methods of mathematical analysis and computer modeling to biological systems with the ultimate goal of understanding at the fundamental level the structure, dynamics, interactions, and ultimately the function of biological systems. This knowledge can be used to design and develop new drugs that target specific molecules and biological processes, leading to improved treatments for various diseases. Dr. Thomas Schubert shares insights into the technologies and competition in the biophysics world and highlights some of Tupine's success stories in the field. Tune in to learn more about how biophysics is driving innovation in the pharmaceutical industry. I hope you enjoy the conversation the same way than I did. Thomas, it's very good to see you again after the bio. Yes, absolutely, Christian. It's my pleasure to be here. Um, really a great opportunity. And uh, yeah, nice to meet you as well. So it's, as person, it's really nice. It's already over a month ago, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. Time flies. Time flies. It's amazing. Uh, it's incredible. But it was a good conference, I think. Um, How was it for you? It was the first after 2019 in my life. How was it for yeah. you? Uh, indeed, uh, at least it was not the first uh, after uh, COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. So I was already at other conferences, but not that size. And I uh, I had uh, a very good feeling uh, that a lot of people were very kind of relieved to see people again and to interact and to to talk and uh, just to chat even uh, just random without any scientific or, or business related topics just have a nice chat it was really amazing i, I really enjoyed it i so, i couldn't agree more it was my first bio after 2019 i think the other bios in europe bio europe so yeah, we are yeah. pretty much virtual and this year the first one was in san diego Mm -hmm. um, in June, which was a little bit strange because the uh, the airlines were not at the standards that I was used before the pandemic, which was quite was quite funny. But I, I, I absolutely agree to what you said. Uh, it seems to me that everybody that I met is pretty happy yeah. that we have real life meetings back again. Yeah, uh, it is like meeting old friends after three years. Yeah, and interestingly. I mean, before the pandemic, I expected that this digital turn that we got in March 2020 will, will just vanish and will just go away. Yeah. And I was uh, very, how should I say, uh, best uh, pleasantly surprised that uh, it doesn't change. So a lot of pharma companies, a lot of VCs have integrated now digital versions, like also this webinar, for example, yeah. into their processes. Uh, and I can highly recommend uh, to use these new tools because people used it for scouting. What is your experience with, with webinars? Uh, absolutely. Um, so I, I fully agree with you, Christian. So uh, we are 
quite active here um, also at Tuvind uh, for webinars indeed. So we've done quite a number of, of webinars with um, partners uh, to you know show what we what we work on and to to you know to to also to educate people and because what what we realized a lot is that uh, the way of how people um, look for things, how they search for things in COVID has completely changed before. Mm. And I think it's now back again, but before you were meeting at a, at a conference and, you know, had a handshake, a good laugh together, some, maybe some beer or wine and <laughs> came along. Right. And then suddenly this, this hard, hard stop was there, right. You couldn't mm. meet anybody. And then uh, everything was towards, you know, Google, Yahoo, Bing, all those different things. And um, uh, so th this was, of course, also a chance for such a uh, company like us to to also use social media more and more. And um, if you uh, say that uh, webinars is also social media, I would also say yeah. that we are very active here, yes. <laughs> in, my, in my life, everything is social media, I mean, right? Yeah. So everything online is so just social media. <laughs> um, I, I agree because, I mean, Before the pandemic, I always tried to, to, to integrate live streamings, webinars, video calls into my business life. Um, I love games. So I know these tools, uh, since the nineties and also did research with Harvard University of St. Gallen to find out how the internet will transform our businesses. Yeah. But in the pharma industry, nobody used it. So every time when I said, let's do a webinar, no, why not? Why? And now, uh, I, uh, the last time in the bio in, uh, in Leipzig, I asked people, okay, What, what, what do you do when you want to reach out to a company, um, in the conference system? And the majority answered, when I find a company that I think is interesting, uh, I go to Google search yeah. and I want to know more. Yeah. So that's true. Absolutely. So we, we can see that on our um, homepage as well on, on the click rate mm -hmm. and, and these kind of things, they dramatically increased in, in COVID times and, um, it's good because our homepage is also quite having a lot of content. It's really educational. People can not just learn about us, but really about the topic biophysics here. And mm -hmm. so people really use it to educate themselves, which we really enjoy um, because that's also part of what we do. Right? So let's, let's use this webinar to educate me. And uh, let, <laughs> let, me, let, let me ask the first stupid question. Whenever I think about drug development, yeah. uh, What comes to my mind is chemistry, is mm -hmm. biology. Mm -hmm. And every time when I think about, for example, Elon Musk with Tesla, mm -hmm. I think about SpaceX, space travel in terms of physics. Mm -hmm. And when we first met, you explained to me that uh, you use physics for drug development. And that yeah. was, why physics? Why, why physics in part drug development? Why, do, why not chemistry? <laughs> Yeah, no. I think um, first of all, I think it has to see, be seen as a as a, a global part, or, or let's say a, a process where different scientific aspects mm -hmm. come into line. And of course, chemistry is highly imp uh, important, no doubt. Uh, this is the basis of a lot of things. But also, indeed, biophysics uh, plays a big role in drug discovery. Um, so this is uh, uh, something that is even now, uh, let's say, further pronounced. So the Actually, biophysics has gained quite some momentum, I would say. The importance is uh, increasing for several reasons. And I mean, just to uh, define that a little bit more. Um, so biophysics, is uh, I, I do understand that a lot of people feel comfortable when they read up the first part of this word, bio. It's all like comfortable, <laughs> animals, it's trees, it's, it's light, it's nice. And then physics. <laughs> Shit. Uh, but actually, it's. It's a really cool combination because 
you use the physical um, measurement, the physical interpretation to understand the biology. It's, it's really fascinating. So it's really sometimes when you are going really deep into a, a detail of a molecular uh, mechanism in a cell, you find it so fascinating. And then sometimes you think, wow, that's just a wonder here. Uh, what are we living in? This is amazing. And so you use physical phenomena to understand uh, what the biology does. Um, so that's biophysics. And um, as you might see, I'm a passionate biophysicist. Uh, <laughs> really the thing that I like in my life. <laughs> yeah, well, so let me just share the screen. Um, it usually takes a little bit of time. It just opened, it just opened a few websites. There's also a biophysical society. Yeah, with yeah. good society, by the way. Yeah, what is society all about? Um, the Biophysical Society is basically um, really a um, um, consortium of, of uh, well-known biophysicists um, giving the whole um, area a certain structure. Um, obviously, there are experts all around the globe, and um, this is a, a network of really um, the best of, of the best of, of biophysics. And you can see here, um, it's a, actually a very important society, um, mm. fantastic, very nice um, uh, meetings uh, for specific biophysicists um, applications. And uh, here on the left side, you see already a, a big topic that has uh, drawn a lot of attention is, of course, as we all know, COVID-19. Mm. And um, so the fascination also from the biophysics per perspective is, of course, here also shown um, to understand how that really yeah terrible um virus is entering a cell how the interaction of of this virus with a cell is happening how fast it is going on how strong this interaction is this is biophysics you okay. read out these factors that's pure biophysics mm -hmm. that's good that's good to know and this is more for the specialist and for the generalists who want to like uh, to know uh a little bit about everything. Uh, there's also Wikipedia with a nice yeah. definition of uh, biophysics and physics, the fundamental science on the right side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Uh, I mean, we use physical methods. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We apply them for uh, to understand bi biological processes. Yeah. Thomas, let me ask you the second question. How did you find this passion? What is your background? Um, originally, I'm a biochemist. I was trained as a biochemist some, yeah, 15 years ago, I guess. Uh, and uh, during that time, um, I got in, in touch with biophysics at a very specific um, scientific topic. And uh, I got simply fascinated by the fact that you can directly, uh, by looking at a small detail, learn about a large process. So this is really something that that draw uh, was drawing my attention, and uh, I. I was fascinated that you can apply um, physical um, readouts um, to really understand a cell and, and an organism. And so, or at least parts of an organism or parts of a cell, of course, uh, it's a extremely large, complex system, a cell, but you see and you understand a certain aspect of it. And that was absolutely my fascination. And uh, I got, yeah, I got stuck to it at, at some point because I really like it. So is, is physics a, a huge part in biochemistry in the education at the university? Um, not really, I have to say. So there is, of course, physics because physics are important, um, but uh, biochemistry, education, uh, and also, I mean, originally I was a biologist and made a PhD in biochemistry. I have to make it more mm -hmm. correct, right? Because this is the, the real situation. 
And as a biologist, there were certain lessons in bio in physics, um, very low level, and of course in the, in the education in a PhD. Um, uh, there, there's not a real lecture, let's call it. So you have to, yeah, make your own efforts to uh, mm -hmm. learn about um, different other life science aspects, such as physics. And um, yeah, I got quite, um, yeah, interested in these things, and uh, was a lot of, uh, of course, asking uh, colleagues and other experts, and and get, yeah, get information from those guys, and they they taught me basically. So physics, biophysics, basically, or physics is a small part of your education. How comes that you then decided right after the university um, not to, to, to work in the industry or stay in academia, but found a company mm. that uh, revolves around the topic biophysics? Mm. Mm. I think, first of all, indeed, there was a, a passion for biophysics, even though it was not a large part of my education, indeed. Um, but um, it, it really fascinated me. Uh, and then, in addition, there's a second fascination with it, which is actually kind of the entrepreneurship. So mm -hmm. uh, this idea to build up our own uh, topic and to... to Uh, yeah, to to make decisions which have a consequence, um, positive or negative. Everything is kind of what you decided and you have to think about. And that followed my complete life. And I always, as as soon as I had situations where I could build up something on my own, I, I did it at least in a, large, a small scale. And I thought, okay, I, I could go to um, other companies. I had also, you know, uh, already I was quite far with some contracts, but then this chance came along uh, to really build up a, a new company from the scratch uh, as a startup, as a first employee. And, and this was something, honestly, if I wouldn't have done that, then I would have always thought about why didn't you uh, do that in the past? Why did you leave that chance? So I had to do it. Mm -hmm. And um, I was, and I'm absolutely happy about how, how things go on. How did you find the opportunity? Um, of Honestly, I, I, sometimes in life, it's it's a combination of being at the right spot at the right time. Um, I had a um, my PhD um, supervisor uh, is a very um, open-minded person. Um, he's very into technologies, and um, during uh, my PhD, there were certain aspects about biophysics which we could not solve with conventional methods, and he found. Um, some um, person in uh, the physics uh, department at the uh, LMU in Munich and uh, Ludwig Maximilian uh, mm -hmm. University. And those guys uh, were yeah, designing a brand new technology. And a little bit for desperation, we just thought, okay, let's give it a try. And suddenly two weeks later, we had indeed you know, values and data which even made sense. Uh, it's not just random data. It really made sense. And this was quite fascinating. Uh, and we all were like thinking, wow, that's impressive. We wasted a lot of time before. And in, within two weeks, we had cool data. That was cool. Mm -hmm. And here, the, the, the chance was growing. So basically, Tubind uh, was a spin-off from the mm -hmm. university here in Regensburg uh, in combination with a company called Nanotemper Technologies. It's mm -hmm. a company in Munich. It's a um, producer and developer of biophysical methods. And at that time, 2011, so more than 10 years now, um, 
I had the chance to be the first employee um, and and getting uh, promoted to be CEO quite um, short after that. And mm-hmm. I'm very happy that I did this, I have to say. And um, yeah, it was a, a good chance. It was, a, of course, a, a wild drive, let's say, <laughs> but uh, it was really, really cool, I have to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, before before we get into the, the, the wild drive, I'm a little bit curious about the business model. So yeah, yeah, sure. uh, biophysics, it's uh, not very, let's say, it's not a huge part in, in at the university, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And you found, you started in a company as a first employee, got promoted to a CEO quite yeah. after. And uh, I'm just curious, how, how, how challenging was it to find a, a business model? Is it uh, mm-hmm. your focus now in with your company with biophysics in drug development and drug discovery. Yeah. Uh, how challenging was that to establish that on the market? Was it a, a no-brainer to say everybody knew, yeah, you need biophysics, so let's just uh, work together with you? Or was there some groundwork that needed to be done? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. Okay, yeah. So first of all, it was a challenge. I mean, biophysics at that time, so 10, 11 years, was even much more, uh, let's say, or le- let's 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 say, less important than today, for several reasons. And in addition, there was of course already some competition in that market. And um, the original idea of Tubine was actually um, to be a service division for nanotemper technologies. That was basically at the very beginning, the idea. Um, really to have an, an entity that is using these devices to um, also educate people and um, you know show what these uh, devices can do. Indeed, actually, this has changed. So in 2017, um, we uh, sat together um, and uh, decided that Tubind is getting independent of Nanotemper. So we're a completely independent entity now. And the main reason was that we wanted to um, yeah, develop the company in a different way. We are in the moment, uh, or we wanted to become uh, an expert niche player in biophysics. Um, we are working on a fee-for-service business model in the moment also starting the first partnerships with interesting uh, companies or actually these guys realized over the last 10 years that we have quite a, some knowledge and quite some capabilities. And now people approach us also with partnership um, um, mm. uh, requests um, to develop something together. Um, but our fundamental principle was to be a service provider. And this has actually a very simple reason. We never had an investor. So where to get money? <laughs> from customers you need to you need, you need to get money in right uh, you want to develop the company and without ha- having any investor in here you you needed to have a business model where there's a fast um, cash flow and where you can get money in and and develop a company and that that was actually also a big part of the decision to to use that kind of 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 yeah service business model yeah yeah, the traditional business models that I learned at university and in a commercial school before was find customers first 
And when you want to grow your business, then you talk to investors. This new world like we have now where investors invest in startups without any business model was quite unusual in yeah. Europe, at least uh, yeah. in the 90s or in the 80s of last century. So it's a smart move basically to find customers. Let's get a little bit into investigative podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned uh there were for certain for several for certain reasons biophysics was not so important 10 years ago mm -hmm. and uh it's its importance increased in track development and track discovery over the last 10 years why was it not important and why did uh the importance increase two questions yeah um so first of all one has to say that um the uh, way of um developing drugs and discovery of drugs has been changed since the last years um so 10 years before um, a lot of the targets that were um, out there and were worked on um, were enzymatic targets, um, which had a clear activity that you can read out with biochemical approaches. A biochemical approach is different to a biophysical approach since you use an activity that the protein has to gener generate a signal that you can read out. The biophysics is more interested in the direct interaction rather than the activity. And so a lot of the efforts were done, uh, first of all, on, on biochemical approaches. So HTS campaigns, meaning high throughput screening was done on, on a complete different, let's say, platform, right? It's, it is a different life uh, science uh, part. And biophysics was only this little tiny little piece when you had your compound and then you, you saw an activity and then it's just like this confirmation thing. Like, mm. will you please confirm that this one thing is doing something? So it was... Uh, a minor part, it's called. Of course, I'm a little bit over-exaggerating, but you know my... <laughs> but it's always good for podcasts. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you, you know, you have to make it, a, like, understandable. And of fun. Course. Science can be fun as well. So. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, biophysics also played a role in the past. But now, nowadays, um, it is, for example, the case that um, um, hard-to-drug targets uh, in a cell they don't cannot be read out with a with a biochemical approach. Um, there's no other way than a direct binding event. So you need when you want to develop and discover a, a drug, you need to find a binder which binds to the protein or the RNA, whatever target mm. you're interested in. And since there's no biochemical approach, you need biophysics. You need to see the interaction. You need to understand how fast this goes on and off and what the affinity is of the two. And um, therefore, the attention that is now for biophysics has increased. And in addition, uh, not just the target side, so it's not just um, new protein uh, types mm -hmm. and even a complete new field, um, the RNA as a target. So it's really going away from the protein towards an RNA as a direct target for a small molecule. Mm -hmm. um, for example, you want to uh, establish a certain structure in an RNA or disrupt the structure. And as a consequence of that, the cell has, you know, is somehow modified, whatever uh, aspect of a cell you want to modify. So this was not there 10 years before. This is a relatively new um, approach. And the complete approach um, is uh, is is solely is the wrong word, but heavily depending on biophysical um, approaches. And so a complete new field emerged even that was not present at 10 years. And then in addition, if you, you always have two molecules for a drug uh, development, the target and the drug. Mm -hmm. And before it was always like small molecules, some 300, 400, 500 Dalton in size, 
had had certain rules to fulfill and uh, basically you were constantly screening things and uh, making uh, efforts if if the the cell is somehow affected nowadays it's not just this one single um, small molecule that is in in focus now complete new entities come along for example protex yeah mm-hmm. so this this uh, new class of molecules um, is it has a complete different approach than a classical inhibitor. So it's not an inhibitor. So a protag is a combination of two small molecules which are linked with a linker. And the idea is to bring a, a, a protein of interest in the close proximity of an enzyme that tells the, uh, the cell to degrade that protein. So mm-hmm. the cell is told to get rid of this one specific protein. This complete concept was not present 10 years ago. And again, we're not talking about an activity. You need another readout and binding is one of the uh, interactions or, or, or one interaction is one of those things that you can read out with biophysics. So a long story short, many different changes in the environment of drug discovery have come along in the last 10 years and all of them kind of push biophysics. And that is the reason why now biophysics um, as um, the application, but also the outsourcing market is increasing constantly. And of course, um, for us, uh, that is something very uh, nice. And we were happy uh, to realize that new entities come along, new targets, new things that we can address. And um, that allowed us to build also our portfolio to serve the, uh, the customer in the best way. That's that's great. That's great to hear that uh, drug discovery is changing and it's uh, getting. I think it's also getting more and more complex, isn't it? Oh yes, absolutely. So this classical paradigm—you have one protein, you you tackle that protein, everything is solved. No, no, no. <laughs> so nowadays it's really a systematic approach. You need to consider a lot of more things. Honestly, the very low-hanging fruits are already gone, and mm-hmm. now it's really there. Are absolutely fascinating uh, concepts out there. Again, we're in a lucky position because, uh, you know, uh, sometimes, let's say, when challenging things happen, uh, it is sometimes good to start with an outsourcing approach, giving an expert a first try and then integrating things into own labs. And therefore, we get in touch with a lot of state of the art or really at the edge ideas. And that is what is really fun here. So we, we are confronted with projects which are super innovative and super challenging But that's the fun. Um, that's really cool. Uh, um, is your position what what are you doing with antibodies? Is this also a part of of uh, of, of your of your business? Yeah. Um. So. Um. Let's let's make it a little bit uh, different. So, biophysics can serve to answer two types of questions. One type of question is related to the interaction of two molecules A and B. So they 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 bind, uh, they bind fast and slow, or they bind strong, or there are two of these and just one of those, and so on. So it's binding parameters. First question, and the second question is, um, for example, for antibodies, it's very relevant to stabilize an antibody. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you imagine you have a, a drug. Uh, and it's in a syringe and you want to push it into uh, an arm of a, of a patient to, to cure that patient, the antibody has to be very stable in there because the the vessel or the, the syringe or whatever, the solution has to be stored somewhere, four degrees or whatever in a liquid formulation. 
And this is something that you can really nicely address with biophysics. So mm. we serve not just those guys from the drug discovery um, area with the interaction analysis type of things, but we also work a lot on antibodies and um, you know um, determine the, the optimal storage conditions of an antibody. Let's let's make it in simple words. A very important point as well, but very different. Because the one thing is very early, R&D, super, uh, sometimes very, okay, uh, wow, that is a cool concept. That's fascinating. Let's think about it first. And finding, uh, you know, the formulation of a well-established antibody, um, which is already super characterized, mm -hmm. it's a complete different aspect of, of what we do here. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host Matt Heslin brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. So we can also uh, add value to uh, established technology that is already on the market, uh, make it better, improve it, uh, understand it better than... Uh, so basically, you you look in detail on how things work. Yeah, exactly. As I so as mentioned before, we use the physics phenomena to really check out what's the exact mechanism of something. And I think there are so many uh, applications. And um, you know, we're so happy to be at that point because we so we made absolutely fascinating measurements in uh in for for example for in vitro diagnostic mm -hmm. guys uh, where we uh helped to, to develop uh tests uh, for um an allergen in in milk or an allergen uh, cool. uh in 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 uh, apple juice or something so this is really fascinating this can also be solved with biophysics so it's a very universal approach actually biophysics Mm -hmm. uh, one one term came across my table in the last uh, two to four years. It's uh, ADCs, antibody drug mm -hmm. conjugates. Yeah. Does biophysics also play a role in that? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, which which role? So next question: yeah. Which role? Yeah, and so I'm uh, not satisfied uh, with for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those guys uh, who might not know ADC, so it's mm -hmm. um, uh, basically the idea is that an antibody, which is um, a molecule that uh, can uh, bind to a certain target structure. So it recognizes a certain structure, for example, on a cell, for example, on a cancer cell, let's call it. There's a cancer cell and the surface on the cancer cell has certain structure, certain yeah, function. And an antibody is a binding molecule which recognizes um, the, um, the, the, the cancer cell, for example, but discriminates native cell. And of course, the idea is if I add a payload to the antibody, which is toxic, then I can uh, toxidate uh, the uh, the unwanted cell in a, in, in, in a cancer and leave uh, the, the the native uh, environment uh, untouched. So this is an ADC. And of course, this payload or warhead, a lot of people call this warhead, 
um, has to be attached to uh, the protein, so to the to the uh, antibody via chemical linking. And of course, that chemical linking is a modification of the original protein, right? Mm. And again, you need to understand, does that influence uh, the antibody or not? Is it still uh, doing what it should do? Is it still um, binding to the target? Is it still, you know, stable? Does it uh, fall apart? Is it is it suddenly, uh, does it tend to aggregate? Does it go out of the, the equase solution? And is then, of course, not a, a drug anymore? These things we can also work on, yeah. So we can really measure it and uh, get more details on that. I mean, I, I find the concept very interesting. It always reminds me a little bit on uh, about warfare. It's like an, an aircraft. So you put a bailout, missiles on an aircraft, and then you send the aircraft into the air, which basically in, in ADC terms is into the body. And they're always at a hard time to understand. I mean, how do you guarantee that the payload is released at the point of action where it's intended and not somewhere else in the body? How can you measure that? Yeah. Uh, when it's in the biological system, we think it's easy in the lab, so to say, okay, this yeah. happens and that happens, but a body is different. Uh, yeah. how, how do you measure that in a body? Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, uh, I'm not really familiar with the body. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Uh, that's maybe also something uh, uh, in general, the biophysics guys, they we don't really uh, work with a living cell and mm. we don't have that. We are completely in vitro guys. Um, but I know that uh, there are um, uh, phenotypic readouts where you can um, realize if a cell is, is reacting on that antibody, if it uh, changes its uh, shape, if it uh, yeah, suffers. And you can see that when a cell changes the shape or even dies. So you can see that. Uh, honestly, how they measure this in, in a living body, I have to admit, I have no clue. <laughs> mm -hmm. So your work is uh, is basically uh, in vitro. So it's basically yes. uh, on the lab bench exactly. um, before clinical development. Exactly. Correct. Absolutely. Where, where is your company positioned in the value chain? Let's talk about uh, your, mm -hmm. your organization. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, to mind... Uh, of course, first of all, we are outsourcing uh, partner and, and outsourcing can be done at different position of, of um, the value chain. So it can be in a very early phases in, in uh, classical drug discovery, for example, when you need a hit identification, uh, meaning you screen large libraries of, of compounds. Uh, we do have own libraries. We can also work with external libraries and identify potential um, drug candidates. Then uh, the next phase of the drug discovery uh, phase is uh, the validation of, of potential um, uh, hits um, and, and, and uh, drug candidates. So this could be that a customer has already done internal um, hit identification and then wants to get a third party independent um, answer. Is that a real hit or not? Is that a real binder or not? And of course, then um, commonly uh, these small molecules are optimized in, um, in the medicinal chemistry approach. So basically, you uh, want to understand uh, how uh, the, the structure of the complete uh, protein with a, with a small compound uh, drug is, and then optimize that. And here, of course, again, biophysics is, is relevant because we monitor the evolution of those compounds in terms of the binding uh, to the target protein or RNA. So this is at the drug discovery level. So this is uh, the first very early drug discovery RNA. So, so, so sorry to interrupt here. Um, so basically you start with really basic research. So you are a partner for the basic research organizations initially. Yes, correct. 
So it's a lot of universities, basically, also basic research within pharma companies. Yeah. So, I mean, I can maybe describe with some words our clients. Um, sure. Go ahead. First of all, I think very obvious answer would be everybody that needs biophysics. <laughs> Obviously, not what you wanted to hear. Um, no, um, we are working largely with um, biotech companies. We see mm. backup bio companies, uh, biotech companies from uh, US and also Europe. Um, so these are our main uh, business partners. We work also a lot with pharmaceutical companies um, until uh, since um, 2011. We have now a, um, a portfolio of customers, around about 450 customers, and we have worked mm -hmm. on around about 1,400 projects with them. So um, in the last 11 years. Impressive. Yeah, um, I think um, it, it's it's really a, a good track number. Yeah. Do you do you, you said there's an uptake in biophysics? Do you also see that uh, in the numbers of projects that you get that it's increasing year over year? Yes, definitely. But I'm not sure if this has to do with the increase of biophysics or because people now know us and realize mm -hmm. that we have a certain competence. I think it's a mix of all those effects. Mm -hmm. But yes, uh, constantly increasing. I mean, this of course. Uh, also on the uh, key parameters on the financial uh, basis is also, you can see that, yeah. So we have uh, drug discovery. What's what's yep. another part in the value chain where you can assist? Yeah, so um, basically uh, the other part where, where we can assist um, is, uh, for example, in antibodies, in the antibody development part. Um, it starts with a classical developability study. Um, so the idea is an antibody is generated, it has an activity, it has a binding event. But this does not mean that this will be translated into a drug because certain physical properties are not good um, and a drug should have all optimal parameters. And here we uh, offer services where people can um, check their, their candidates for those parameters and then select uh, the ones that have most promising parameters and, and get them into uh, the later phases. So this is preclinic, let's say, um, in, in that area a little bit earlier. And then, of course, an antibody, as I mentioned before, um, has to be at some point administered to a patient. And uh, before doing that, you need to have a proper, um, you know, uh, uh, buffer condition, a proper storage, which is commonly called a formulation of an antibody. And here in this formulation development, we can also help with quite some nice tools that we have developed over the years. Yeah. So it's a very late stage um, offer that we also have. So. Mm. Early, somewhere in the middle, and also late. I was just smiling because you said uh, ultimately the drug or the antibody should be administered in a patient that hopefully helped the patient. Uh, I said <laughs> it in my mind, but uh, I, I completely agree with that statement in drug development. So yep. we need a patient. I, I'm not so sure in drug discovery or research organizations. So very often I think it's more about finding something new. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a complete different concept. Yeah. It's just finding something new versus you have something interesting and you want to optimize, yeah. Which I find very interesting because, I mean, in my opinion, this is that uh, one of the complexities in interactive development that on one hand, um, within a company, investors and, and uh, leadership need to work together with creative people like scientists who, who need to find something new. But on the other hand, you also have this project management approach where um, leaders and investors need to focus the team on one single goal, which is a little bit contradicting in my, my mind. So it's uh, either you are creative or you are goal oriented. How do you see it? Bring yeah. this right together. Yeah. So, so 
I think I'm I'm with you uh, on, on that that point. So there's definitely something difficult around that. Um, I would say. Um, I think in in general, um, this is a very big challenge for drug discovery, but also for late stage projects that um, the tasks are so different, and also the people that that are working on these things um, have different mindsets. Mm. So, um, or should have, let's say, um, in, in a very early uh, drug discovery phase, you need to have a certain space of creativity um, because it's not everything. There's no SOP that you can follow and then the standard operating protocol will tell you what the outcome is. This is not possible. Mm -hmm. You need to be open-minded. Mm -hmm. Of course, for VC backed up companies, there's a certain core set where they can act for a different reason, strategic budget, resources, and so on. And the creativity should not be limited too much by these external factors because you need that creativity. Whereas when you go for late stage projects, uh, it's more defined and still creativity is needed, but um, a different type of creativity, I would say. So yeah, I see what were you going to. Uh, it's yeah. No, for, for for me, it's very challenging to to integrate uh, different personalities into one value chain yeah. to move things forward. Because I mean, um, creativity in later stages. Uh, and just think, you mentioned SARS-CoV-2, for example, uh, yeah. mRNA in the beginning when we were looking at this Institute of Biophysics. Uh, 40,000 patient studies uh, is a huge task. So being creative within a yep. 40,000 patient study <laughs> wouldn't produce any results that uh, are useful to talk <laughs> with the regulators then afterwards. On the on the other hand, when when we try, when we would try to put a corset around the researchers at the universities yeah. who, who need to identify new approaches, for example, new targets, yeah. uh, new chemical, chemical, compo chemical compounds and uh, just run them through SOPs and say, okay, you need to do this procedure every day. I don't. I think it would suppress creativity. Absolutely. I fully agree. I think for the different positions, there are certain characters needed and certain mm. people mindsets. And uh, as I mentioned, I think everything has a right to be there and uh, has, a, has a reason to be a valid uh, partner for these and these things. Absolutely. Yeah. How, how do you handle these challenges? Because I mean, on one hand, you're a partner to research organizations in the early stages, drug discovery, also on the drug development side. How do you handle these challenges within your company? Yeah. So first of all, um, one has to definitely uh, educate our project leaders, um, which are the first communication line on the scientific level to the, the partner that we have and emphasize what the intention of the respective um, uh, colleagues from the other end uh, is. And obviously the intention of an early drug discovery guy is or a person is different than uh, late stage um, development. And people have to understand um, what the really need is. For us, honestly, this is a very important point already at the very early beginning of a discussion. So we really sit down together with a partner, with a client, a customer or a collaboration partner and sit down and define what is the aim. So we need to know that. Uh, I know that a lot of uh, other um, you know, CROs are not interested in that too much. Uh, uh, I, but I also know that um, others also see as we do. We, I think we need to know that to understand what the need is of a late stage or an early drug discovery guy, 
to really understand what the focus of the project should be. And therefore, intense discussions are needed to get a sense what's staying. And then you, you are on one level and then you understand, okay, this is the need, here we can serve and, and help. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Coaching Conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. We work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees. This podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies, frameworks, coaching models, and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. Yeah, project management. I think it's very important, and also to 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 get the the goals and the targets and the uh, and the aim of a of a of a project out of people yeah. into a useful uh, process. At the end of the day, yeah. we need to deliver results. Um, the market is big. Uh, we have eight billion people on the market uh, mm -hmm. now. Let's continue with investigative podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Why? are you the best experts in biophysics oh uh so first of all i i think uh, that there are others out there that which are good mm -hmm. so i i i don't want to say something else because that's, that would simply not be true there are other companies out there and other groups which are doing an excellent job no no doubt i think um our company to is a little bit different for different reasons um First of all, on the market, you will not find a company that is dedicated solely on that niche of biophysics. Um, this is our core expertise, and we're doing only biophysics. Um, biophysics and other competitors, let's say, it's, it's uh, a part of something. Most of them are one-stop shops. Again, um, I think they do a good job, but it's a one-stop shop. It's a completely mm. different uh, concept. We are... Absolutely the opposite. We're not a one-stop shop. You get biophysics here. And I think quite good biophysics. That's what we, what we want to be. We want to be experts in what in this niche of biophysics. And so already at, at the description of how we see ourselves and others, there's a certain differentiation. And then there's, of course, um, how you can prove that you're an expert. And for example, one thing is for us, it's very important that we have technology partners. Um, so we back up with technology partners. Nanotemper is one of them. Cryoptics now Malvern is one. Um, Dynamic Biosensors is one. And these guys, uh, um, we are very close to them. Um, and this means, close means really that we are better testers. We get devices in here at Tubine, which are maybe not re never reaching the market, or maybe they do. We are testing this. And it's a very fruitful give and take. We learn a lot about new technologies, about new approaches, hardware, software. But we also teach uh, what the application in real life should look like. Mm -hmm. Because that's very often the thing that developer of a device are simply missing, the sense of why you want to do that. And so it's a very fruitful combination that we have with those guys. And therefore, we indeed have some tools here at TwoBind, some of our 11 uh, technologies in TwoBind. Um, they are customized. You cannot buy them on the market. 
And in addition, of course, because uh, uh, we get a lot of knowledge from the exchange with those partners, uh, which is, of course, not um, accessible to um, others out there. So I think this is the reason why we can, at least to some extent, say that we're experts, I guess. Now I'm, uh, now I'm curious. I, I know we, we didn't have prepared uh, presentations, so it's a podcast, it's a conversational format. But you <laughs> mentioned that in your company, you offer 11 technologies to your customers. So which technologies are these? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so first of all, um, let's start with the technologies which look at proteins and how mm -hmm. these uh, how, how proteins look like. So structure and, uh, and not, sorry, not structure, but uh, molecular weight, size, all those different aspects, colloidal stability, chemical stability, uh, thermal stability. So this is the classical SEGMALS. Um, this is dynamic light scattering. This is Panta. This is Nano DSF. So these are the tools mm -hmm. that we use to characterize proteins. Then on the side of, uh, of basic equilibrium binding methods, we do have uh, spectral shift, the brand new technology of nanotamper. We do have microscale thermophoresis um, in different variations. We have an, an automated, which is a HTS capable device, which uh, we have a di Diantos, which is even more HTS capable. Mm -hmm. On the kinetics level, um, we do have um, a classical um, characterization format for biologics, antibody antigen called bilayer ferrometry, BLI. Mm -hmm. um, we have a um, very fascinating technology called um, uh, uh, Wave Delta. It's uh, from Creoptics, um, now Malvern. Um, it's a great encoupled interferometry method um, for kinetic studies, uh, brilliant technology anyway. And uh, the latest um, technology that we also have integrated is uh, the Dynamic Biosensors Helix system, which is an awesome tool for protec determination. So ternary context formation is, is, is brilliant. And uh, of course, we also do have gold standard methods like isothermal titration colorimetry in-house. So these are uh, the technologies that we offer. I think, I hope I have mentioned all 11. <laughs> uh, and of course, in addition to these methods, we of course need to have a certain equipment in the lab anyway. So pipetting robots, liquid handling stations, uh, lab side ecosystem, for example, we need to have them. Otherwise, we, we cannot uh, you know, create or, or get all the capacities and capabilities out of the devices that we have. So you know all your technologies by heart, basically. Yes, <laughs> that's what I think an expert should do, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so this means that uh, anybody who wants to work with you is not uh, only tap tapping into expertise, but also technology that in that form is not available on the market uh, somewhere um, else. At least a part. In this combination. In this combination, I doubt that you will find another, another company anyway. But um, important for us is always that we... Um, see ourselves uh, not as a platform company. We do not want to be a platform. So the, a platform is a very efficient uh, you know, way to approach things. You have standardized, miniaturized, optimized processes, and it's very fast, efficient, and so on, but it's not flexible. And as I mentioned before, a lot of people come with brand new ideas to us, and we cannot work with a, with a platform. It's like mm -hmm having a hammer and then somebody's coming along with a short nail or a long nail and you drill it into the, the wood, but what happens? You saw this the same hammer. <laughs> exactly. It's a brilliant hammer, very ergonomic and it's, it's, it's really good in the hand and you have a good tip and it's great hammer. But what happens if a screw comes along, right? What do you do? You need a screwdriver and not, the hammer is not enough. And that is what we want to do. We want to have all the tools that we can 
uh, grab into our box and take out the right tool for the question that a, a customer has. This is what we want to do. And this is where we are, I think, on a good track. There was this, I don't know if you translate it right, there's this proverb that uh, to someone with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If I don't know if it's uh, yeah. it sense in English. Uh, <laughs> just uh, popped in my mind, popped up in my mind when you mentioned the hammer. Yeah. The hammer story. So yeah. you, you are not that way. So basically you customize the solution to the needs of your customers. Absolutely. Uh, I think that is a need. Because when you look at the variety of targets already just on the protein level, mm. protein are so different to each other. If you compare a soluble kinase to a membrane protein, they have basically nothing else than the amino acid sequence in, uh, maybe in common. Anything else is different. And so you cannot use just a hammer. You need a screwdriver or you need something else. Um, and you have to identify that you need the screwdriver in this moment. And for that protein, you need the hammer. That, that is the idea of what we do. And, and that is also the reason why we have 11 technologies now in-house. And we're constantly screening uh, the market for new things where we can add more uh, information to, to what we do. Um, that's, that's the complete idea of Tubind, being an expert. And consultation is a big part of what we do. So it's basically very helpful for biotech companies um, who need the services from time to time, who need uh, an up-to-date toolbox, but don't want to invest right away in building a team, buying the tools and develop, developing also the tools further. 100% correct. Yes. And I think it's it's uh, there are a lot of companies out there that are now well-known biotech companies with great success. And uh, most of them have indeed been at some point in contact with us um, we have uh, a large portfolio and we identify tools which they might need also on a daily routine. And then we even support them in integrating these devices at home in their in-house processes. Um, this is part of how we see our function and, and, and job. We support them at any level. And um, specifically for um, early biophysic or not biophysic, but early uh, biotech companies, this is, of course, um, a great um, possibility indeed. Let's go back to the entrepreneurship challenges yeah. and successes and uh, of a company. Uh, what two successes and two challenges? What were your, what were your two biggest challenges in the last 10 years that you solved as an entrepreneur? Um, I think the, mm, the most challenge, the highest challenge was uh, to get the right people into the company. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I keep it with uh, the, Uh, the sentence that I think Steve Jobs uh, has, has claimed, uh, you should always uh, employ people that are better than you. And I can uh, proudly say that a lot of people are better than me <laughs> and know more and more experts. And uh, I'm, I'm listening and learning. Uh, and I think that there is something uh, that was very tough to achieve, to find um, good people. Biophysics is not, not something that everybody as we discussed in the very beginning does from the beginning on in all education, it's something special and to find educated people um, that are good in what they do is tough. And I think that was one of the largest challenges. And of course, um, uh, other challenges is uh, like, uh, <laughs> of course, uh, as an early employee and uh, also a shareholder of the company you always uh, are like five steps ahead in your mind. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, in, in a organic growth uh, company, 
the steps are small and you would like to, you know, you get kind of, oh, I, I want to make the next two steps now and I don't want to wait. And uh, so it was also a little challenge to, um, yeah, how to say, um, manage the expectation of, of myself and also about uh, some of the other guys here. Yeah, walking the way, like this uh, martial arts term. So martial artists talk about walking away or Japanese people in yeah. general talking about walking away. And I, I couldn't agree more to what you said. So the mind is always very quick uh, with the solution. And then there is reality, <laughs> which moves a little bit slower. Absolutely, yes. And so many hurdles uh, are jumped suddenly out of the box. Suddenly mm -hmm. there's a hurdle you have to spring over. You never expected that this will happen. And uh, of course, that's that's entrepreneurship. But that's also the fun about it, right? Um, I think uh, being reactive and 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 uh, solve solution or find solutions for problems. That's I think it's it's something that people that love entrepreneur also love. That's part of it. And they also liked uh, what you said about Steve Jobs that uh, leaders should always find employees that are better than themselves. Yeah. It also reminded me of another proverb. Uh, that was when you are the smartest person in the room, you are in the wrong room. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, so I think it was Steve, Steve, Steve Jobs. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I, I really love that sense. But the one that you just mentioned is also very good because it makes the same same uh, consequence, basically. Surround yourself with um, good minds and, uh, and learn. And um, yeah, um, just direct the ideas. Uh, don't, you know, don't interfere, but you know, manage and 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 be uh, uh, yeah, a good leader in this regard. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. I think it was also uh, Steve Jobs definitely said something similarly. Uh, I think so. But okay. also I think uh, I remember also Jack Welch from uh, G. It was already in the 80s, 90s, where he said mm -hmm. uh, also something similar that uh, everybody on your team or on the, on the leader's team must be better than the leader yeah. in one or another aspect. So if yeah. the leader is the best solution yeah. for everything, the leader is doing something wrong. Exactly. I fully agree. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Now let's talk about success stories. Uh, what were your two biggest successes that you achieved for your customers? Okay, for, for the biggest success for our customers. Um, uh, okay, so um, I have to think about what I am able to explain and what I'm able to, to display. So non-confidential information or display, yes. you mean, uh, do you want to, to have a presentation that you want to show? <laughs> um, no, I, I, I really think about uh, confidentiality mm -hmm. now. So um, yeah. I think we know about several uh, molecules that we have co-developed uh, or let's say no co-developed would be too much, but we helped to develop them at some stage, which are now in clinics. Um, but I think one of the success stories that I have in mind uh, was with a, a company, um, a biotech company, again, an early stage VC backup company uh, on the on the protein, uh, sorry, pro tech um, mm -hmm. realm. And yeah, basically, they didn't have um, large capacities and in, 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 in knowledge in, in biophysics, but they had really um, a push from the VC to to speed up and to to give results and, and solutions. And the time frame was very limited. So there, it was not much time to do. And uh, it, it really started with a hit identification uh, of, uh, so screening of several molecules, several hundred molecules for to identify a potential hit to the uh, um, protein of interest. And we managed to do that in an incredible fast time. Uh, we are really 
yeah, skeptical if we could make it until the deadline that we were passed to. And um, so they were absolutely fascinated about this. Uh, the VC was absolutely stunned. Uh, uh, astonished about how how we could manage to do that, and mm-hmm. in the end, it turned out that uh, the process or the the project was even continued much longer for nearly half a year longer, with MedCam optimization rounds, with all you know necessary tools, and we always were um, helping and could 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 help here. At in the end, um, this molecule is now in phase two, and uh, it's absolutely cool. congratulations, uh, it's congratulations. Really cool. We are, of course, our contribution was probably uh, uh, smaller, uh, but they, these guys made an incredible job anyway. So they fully deserve their, their success. And um, it's cool that we have been a part of that. Um, it was really nice. Yeah, maybe we can talk about which company it was later in another episode. So, yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, um, another success story. I mean, one thing that we could that even people could look up on maybe that's um uh, an offer that i can can explain mm-hmm. is a is a formulation study that we have done with an hiv vaccine candidate so it's a rather internal project so i'm happy to share a lot of information here it's not, uh, not confidential anyway so there's an application now that you could even download on our homepage anyway um so it's a, a collaboration with uh, university clinics in Regensburg, the um, group of Professor Wagner. Mm. He's an expert in HIV, studying that virus since many, many years and um, doing a lot of effort in vaccination because obviously still there's not a, a good vaccine in the market that helps for that disease. I'm I'm interested in your opinion. Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, mm. I mean, mRNA, for example, for solving SARS-CoV-2, was a pretty quick shot. So I, mean, yeah. I, I know the development was large, much longer from the technology. Yeah. It started in the 60s and it's not in, in, in one weekend. But basically, I think Moderna and BioNTech uh, had in a few months a solution to a problem. Why is it so challenging to develop a vaccine against HIV? Um, I think there, there are efforts. Uh, and I'm I I don't know exactly uh, what the status in the moment is about mRNA vaccines about uh, HIV, but uh, I know about efforts that are done there, and I would not be wondering or I would not be uh, you know uh, surprised that uh, at some point there might be a success. The 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 missing uh, piece of vaccination is simply because in the past there was the ba- the basis was always an envelope protein of the HIV and mm-hmm. here it's very challenging so the approach was simply the, maybe not the correct one or let correct I wouldn't say but it's it's challenging and now um, honestly with this revolution that we have seen uh, with the mRNA uh, vaccines, um, I I see a lot of doors opening up and um, you're fully right. I mean, maybe mRNA is a solution also for that. Mm. But I I would definitely recommend to talk to an expert in in HIV. (laughs) I was was just curious. um, uh, It was not emphasizing mRNA potentially in HIV. I'm just curious because I think HIV now vaccine development is about 20 years, 20, 25 years, something like that. And we have not no vaccine yet. Yes, correct. And the mRNA example I just brought up because we have a solution for SARS-CoV-2. I mean, some people say it's it's not working well enough. Some people say it's working better than expected. Uh, Some say it's okay. Uh, But we have a solution. 
Yeah. And for HIV, I think we don't have a solution yet. Why, just interested in your opinion, why, why, why it's so complex to find anything against the... Uh, I mean, the, the reason why the, the former vaccines um, had troubles is, of course, because it, it was really based on the protein itself. So mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the envelope protein, it's a trimeric structure, um, which is then composing the, the uh, HIV virus, is, of course... Um, decorated with large glycan chains, so large sugars, which make them very hard to um, tackle by the immune system. So this is why this guy is always ex escaping the, um, the immune mm -hmm. system. Uh, in the same moment, it's difficult because it, if it can escape the immune system, how can you then uh, induce a certain vaccine reaction, right? So this is the challenge here at that point. So you would have to produce a certain protein that is so similar to, to the original um, HIV uh, envelope uh, yeah, complete structure. And here this is a challenge. So there are uh, efforts based on uh, broad neutralizing antibodies, which are very fascinating molecules because they are antibodies, but they have absolutely fascinating structures, very long, spiky things mm -hmm. that can really dig into this um, forest of glycan chains and, and reach the, the, the center of the protein uh, or, or, or reach the protein um, surface, absolutely fascinating molecules. But um, I think there's a general topic about uh, immunogenicity of this virus, again, without being an, an expert in this. But I, I think you're right. Um, uh, it could be that we're talking about a problem which is maybe not even a problem anymore because any uh, good maybe uh, group in the in, in the world has already uh, worked on the mRNA form for HIV. I'm not up to date on that. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just coming just coming from the financial point of view. So I have an economic yeah. background. And I always think. I mean, if if we had yeah. the the same same dedication to cure all diseases in the world that we had for SARS-CoV-2 in the last two years, three years, I think many so would have solved many problems already. Maybe this yeah. is also a call to action for politicians uh, to also look at other diseases because there are still unsolved problems that cause uh, unnecessary suffering, in my opinion. We have great science. We have great scientists just Absolutely. need funds. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think that's uh, it. I mean, for example, if we are already on that uh, interesting topic, I mean, uh, also antibiotics is a big topic that mm. is difficult to solve by um, the economy, uh, by the economy. So there are now the first, um, you know, approaches where even countries uh, make together some efforts to create new antibiotics. And the reason is that an antibiotic cannot be sold too often, and uh, then it's financially not attractive to be developed. And uh, this is simply a pain. Um, this is the origin is, is the basis of all what we do. It's um, the capitalism, basically. Um, and uh, here, I think there are solutions. Uh, and I think, as you you're right, there are some uh, some diseases where I think uh, a more official approach not economic approach but a, let's say by funds or by by con uh, countries uh, should come into game and, and help to to fight against these things because for some of those things again the approach via the the open market might not be the right one yeah difficult topic but um, i'm not sure if i'm right here again <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back uh, before we come to drug development, uh, to yep. the formulation development. I interrupted you with uh, with my question about uh, HIV. <laughs> no uh, what is the role of biophysics in developing formulations for HIV vaccines? Yeah, um, 
So uh, what we have achieved here was um, basically to stabilize the, the, the um, protein, which is called BG55 SOSIP. Mm-hmm. This uh, is an stabilized HIV um, envelope protein um, designed by uh, different innovative groups in, in the world, academic um, origin. And Ralf Wagner was also part of that uh, development um, as uh, one of the consortium partners together with Nanotemper Technologies and us. And um, we basically found um, conditions where the, uh, the the protein is highly stable, where the protein um, is not falling out of solution, where the protein is uh, not aggregating, where it's stable over a certain period of time, and really can um, uh, now be uh, used in that that buffer system. So you can imagine it's a protein that is swimming in a, in a soup, and the soup has to be uh, with a certain combination of ingredients. If it's too much acid in there, for example, uh, then the protein will not be happy and will not be uh, good to, will already be destroyed once you reach uh, the arm of, an, of a patient or whatever, you, how you inject it. Uh, and you have to have a certain salt, for example, a grain of salt here and, uh, you know, things here. And you have to combine that to find the right soup. Uh, and the soup is then uh, supporting uh, the the, the protein which is uh, swimming in there, let's say, and the soup is called formulation, basically. So the formulation is a very important aspect about um, how to to use uh, such a vaccine candidate. And we did a lot of tests, for example, for stress testing. Um, does it survive um, certain stress situations? You can imagine the vaccine candidate is simply not kept in a in a in a cold chain. So somebody forgot to to give it back to four degrees. It it's there on the on the bench table uh, for a day. What happens? Mm-hmm. Can I still apply it? Is it still valid, or should I discard it? What do I what should I do? And we can tell okay by checking different physical parameters. The protein has survived this. It's no problem. You can still use it. Mm-hmm. And these kind of things we have done, and we came to a really nice um, formulation. And uh, I'm also not absolutely updated on the local at the current status of the project, but I know that the plan was to bring it into the first animal study cool. based on that formulation. So it's really cool, and we were very very fascinated to be helpful in that regard of bringing a HIV candidate really into um, the first animal study. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, really cool story, I think. So you can take an existing formulation and make it better basically yes. understand it understand it more uh correct. and uh help improving the end result correct absolutely whatever the goals of your customers are so it's yeah. a flexible it's flexible it's not it's not a one goal company so basically you ask for the goals from your customers and then help them to achieve their goals with uh physics correct that's correct and that's I, was, <laughs> I was just smiling before because i said uh the soup, it's a formulation, it's called soup. So can I, is, it, is it a technical term? Soup? No, no, so no. Can, no. Can, can I use it no, next no. time? <laughs> no, please don't use it. It just came into my mind to make it like, more digestible. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like it. But the next time when, when I talk with a scientist, they will say, well, which soup are you cooking here? <laughs> <laughs> and I will call you out. Sorry. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> I learned it from Dr. Schubert. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, it's really just a fun thing. It was just digestive better. <laughs> but but soup, but soup is really interesting. Formulations is yeah. I will uh, I will I will use it. I will use it. It's funny. It's funny. And uh, we should make more fun in the world. But better, I guess. So we should have more fun. And generally speaking, absolutely. <laughs> The product project, uh, HIV development, and um, you said you started your company in 2011. Yeah. Um, I'm now in the life science industry, pharma industry since 2006. My first uh, attempt to help scientists moving their science forward was also in antibiotics. It was in Novartis mm -hmm. Spinout. Okay, cool. Um, it was a company called Nabriva, the department, uh, Rodka Novak built the department who later founded CRISPR Therapeutics with Emmanuel Charpentier in okay. uh, Switzerland. They, uh, a lot happened in Vienna, but uh, ultimately, and this is the point of the next uh, row of questions, the scientists leave Europe for the United mm -hmm. States because there is just more funding on the market than mm -hmm. we have in Europe, which is a big downside ahead. Recently on my podcast, Sebastian Malaby, do I have his book here? Mm -hmm. Big shout out if you want to understand venture capital, the mm -hmm. power law. Uh, he researched all the backstories to the development of venture capital. And a huge part of this book is uh, Genentech case, mm -hmm. which is pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, bottom line is we don't have much venture capital here in Europe. Mm -hmm. And when I started in the life science industry, I had really the advantage to work with a great company, with a great spin-out, with great scientists. Um, but there was almost no zero landscape mm -hmm. on the market. So mm -hmm. 2006, we had to build a lot. So we, we also had, uh, animal facilities for a small scale. I mean, it was 60 scientists mm -hmm. in a company with owned animal facilities, which nowadays is out of scope for any VC. Mm -hmm. So they just say, okay, use, use a zero. Um, I know how I experienced the development of the life science industry in 2006. Um, I'm curious to hear your perception from 2010 or even earlier. How do you see the development of the life science industry in Europe in the last years? Yeah, um, so first of all, I agree. Uh, a lot of um, I do good ideas um, are unfortunately leaving Europe. Unfortunately, also uh, dramatically leaving uh, Germany and Austria, uh, as you mentioned in Vienna, it's a great hub, uh, Munich as well. And a lot of companies or a lot of ideas have left. Um, this is a real pity because the idea is not the, the product in the end. And uh, the what you in the end get back uh, is not in uh, the place where the idea was thought of. And this should be changed. Uh, and one of the big, big reasons, uh, as you described, is uh, the, the money landscape, the VC landscape in, in, in the US. Uh, since I, I, I was in, in, you know, I'm also part of Bio Deutschland, uh, which is a, um, a union of, of biotechnology companies in, 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 in Germany. And since I, I'm there, I know that these guys made a lot of effort um, and, um, you know, talked to um, uh, politicians to, uh, to, to let them understand what the problem is and uh, how much, much, uh, yeah, taxes they leave, uh, simply because they do not make an attractive situation for an investor in Europe. And this has taken a lot of effort of what they do. And, uh, I know, uh, there's slowly, uh, things are changing and at least we see that in Europe, um, uh, a lot of, or not a lot of, but uh, they are um, now getting more and more interesting companies, um, also interesting funding, maybe still not as that level as in the US, 
but at least more as expected. Um, of course, in the moment, I think we have a, a special situation with um, the COVID situation where a lot of money is pumped into general every market uh, with the consequence that uh, a lot of or some money was probably not uh, placed at the right spot uh, with the right idea, uh, which we now face as a natural correction of that phenomena. Then we have a terrible war going on in the Ukraine, uh, also affecting the complete economy and also affecting, of course, VC funding landscape. Um, but at least from our perspective um, is that uh, we see that VCs uh, may have more or may take it more serious to select the right topic and the right um, project. If you look up uh, the latest um, Series A, Series B, Series C, um, uh, which, which circle around, uh, there's still money in the market. But you see first signs that people take it a little bit more serious um, in which type of effort they invest. For us as an outsourcing partner, it, the landscape is a little bit different because obviously in this difficult situations, let's say, uh, a variable fa cost factor uh, outsourcing is sometimes in favor for an internal fixed cost factor. Mm -hmm. And people um, then would either postpone internal investment or even, you know, don't take the investment at all and favor outsourcing. So this is our situation. It's a little bit different to the classical in the moment VC situation. For us, the situation in my eyes, it, it would kind of balance out. So in the end, my personal opinion, right? Again, my personal opinion uh, is that if even the market has overall a little bit less money, uh, the outsourcing is still increasing and that levels out for us. So this is how I expected. And I think I have uh, done a lot of uh, conversation with other CROs uh, from medicinal chemists uh, to mass spectroscopy guys to NMR guys and so on and on in, in Europe and US. And uh, basically the, the information and, and, and the opinions are more or less the same with smaller modifications. So in general, there's a trend for outsourcing, um, which is clearly seen since the last 10 years. Reasons one is specifically now for biophysics and also for sure for other speciality niche uh, areas is the lack of skilled people. Mm. So um, for a biotech company, it might simply be difficult to find the right people and to yeah, even keep them for a longer period of time. Yeah, you don't need a, a, a person which is off after two years. You need uh, somebody that is constantly for a long-term period with you and supports the company. This is one big challenge why outsourcing to expert groups, I think, is um, in favor in the moment. And of course, also the investment into the um, uh, yeah, machines, into uh, the, the complete processes. Um, sometimes it's clear that the investment into other areas is simply more in interesting. And therefore, outsourcing um, is in favor in the moment, definitely. You can see the market reports um, talking about seven, seven, uh, seven uh, or se uh, several um, increase in in market expansion every year. I, I'm not sure. I think it was five or six percent per year. So it's the complete market is growing dramatically. 
So uh, for outsourcing, and uh, that is also what we see. And um, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. People, sh specifically bio uh, tech companies, they were built up on a certain knowledge and they are really good in their knowledge and they should uh, take certain processes and bring them to experts and let the experts run that thing. I think understandable. I, I couldn't agree. I was just, while you were talking, I was just looking for a book because it was my research focus in the, in the 90s. But <laughs> I, I don't, uh, it's, it's, it's from St. Gala here. It's, it's, it's uh, Network Economy. Das Netzwerkunternehmen. It's, uh, okay. Elger, Fle Elger Fleisch wrote it. He's, uh, at the University of St. Gallen, the think meanwhile, ETH Zürich. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think the 88, the 70s, 80s, 60s were different mm -hmm. because, uh, companies hired people for everything. Mm -hmm. And with the knowledge society, as you said, um, I mean, when, when you need an expert once a year, yeah. the, I think companies who hire an expert for one consultation per year, even when they can afford it, uh, break the expert because what is the expert doing? He's sitting around. <laughs> so it's just one year of 360 days sitting around at one day of work. Uh, it's like destroying a racehorse. So if a racehorse yeah. is not running races, um, it's just getting weak. Yeah. And outsourcing, especially in a specialist, a specialist economy, uh, absolutely makes sense because uh, when you focus on biophysics, sorry, when you focus on, on biophysics, uh, you can throw challenges on your team every single day. Yeah. And this trains the people and is, it helps them to get better in their field uh, compared to a company where they get one day of training per year. Yep. So over time, your team will be more successful because they just gather more information, they get more experience, they can improve. Uh, so outsourcing makes a whole lot of sense for everything that is not needed on a daily basis in a company. And luckily, with the modern technology we have right now with Zoom, for example, we can now do Zoom calls. It was unthinkable six years ago or even three years ago. Uh, you can also engage with experts somewhere in the world. When you have a group, can catch them on a call, meet them once and work together then virtually. Absolutely. And that is exactly, the, the, we have showcases. We, we work with pharmaceutical companies that have awesome equipment, uh, latest stuff that we also hear is great, but the key personnel has left. Mm -hmm. Bam. What do they do? The great, really cool process that they have bought up, uh, you know, built it up, suddenly is down. The key person is gone. So sometimes we, our task is just to coordinate how to build that up again. This, that's exactly why outsourcing is important. So to avoid these situations, this is a pity for them. They have invested so much money and effort and time into building up the, 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 the complete process. And suddenly one piece is missing. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. is why outsourcing makes sense a lot. But in the same moment, one also has to be very fair and to say, Uh, listen, if you use a certain process every day, please think about integrating this internally. We will help you with that because that is something that you will use every day and you should have that under your control. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's the opposite thing. And I think we, we should see the both things of, of both, both ends and at least we support on both ends. Yeah, I totally agree. It's similar like uh, the social media trend, for example. I mean, it's uh, something that many companies also in life science are now do it, doing it. Uh, three years ago, nobody did it. Nobody wanted it. And also my suggestion is when 
a CEO is not sure, uh, let's just stay on the social media example, is not sure whether they should do something on social media or not, get an expert, pay an expert. So if you pay them an hourly rate uh, for consultation and you find out after 10 hours it's not your thing, nothing is lost. So yeah. it's, you just cancel the contract and say, okay, thank you very much for your help, but uh, yeah. we now do something different. And if a CEO says, okay, I would like to test it further, then he still can stay on an outsourcing level and say, okay, post something for me or come up with suggestions once a week. Yeah. And when the expert, when the CEO then sees that things start working, that it really makes a difference in the company mm -hmm. and he needs the consultant every single day, it's the right point in time to think about integrating the process into the company and make sort of a social media, you know, tech transfers not used in social media, but it's basically... Mm -hmm. uh, transferring the know-how, the expertise into a company to an employee. And also when a company is growing, I think for big farm, it would be stupid sometimes to outsource mm -hmm. parts when they can just build their own department, uh, especially for social media activities. Just imagine Pfizer, they don't need outsourcing partners. Probably they can build a huge department yeah. internally because they need it on a daily basis anyways. Right. Sure. But for the small biotechs, when they need, uh, let's say, a press release every six months and they want to do it with audio and video probably it's better to find an outsourcing partner who stays up to date with technology who knows how the uh, platforms work and i think it's similar in your field i mean when someone is not sure whether biophysics can really help speed up the development process in the company it's good to start with a consultation and uh try things out uh, play around a little bit be playful and if it works integrate it and if it doesn't work just stop it exactly absolutely and i think that's that's you can transfer it to different things and i think your example of the um, social media is absolutely uh, brilliant because that's again one of these things that you probably have not learned as a CEO to handle <laughs> these things, right? You where you don't have the education, but it's uh, it's also something where an expert should 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 help because it's uh, you can do a lot of things uh, good, but you can do it better uh, if you're an expert. Uh, and so I, I fully agree with you on that. Now, with experts, what 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 I think is good with experts is the focus, focus uh, to have up to date mm -hmm. information and not outdated information. When an expert can't train on a daily basis in a company, uh, think uh, for this this ten percent of something. So having someone in a company who is ninety percent engaged with other things and ten percent mm -hmm. with something might sound like a good idea initially to say, okay, we have this ten percent role in the company, but this person doesn't get any training. Mm -hmm. While uh, a biophysicist in your company, what should they do? Yeah, they, they just need to work every day on the same topic. Yep. They need hundred percent. They get hundred percent challenges, Absolutely. and this makes a difference on the long run. Mm -hmm. Absolutely correct. <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about trends in drug yep. discovery and drug development that you see, mm -hmm. uh, especially with a focus on biophysics. When we look when we look into the future for 10 years, it's the fun part. I know predictions are very, very hard and very tricky and they might not uh, come true. But let's just let's just play a little bit around with it. With your expertise in biophysics, where do you see drug development and drug discovery in 10 years? And where do you see the role of biophysics in that field? Okay. Um, so first of all, I think um to start with the second question, biophysics will still be very important um, because at some point people will need a validation in the lab uh, for anything, whatever they have found. 
now coming to the trends, um, I think there are several trends that that are already visible. Some of them, I'm not, I'm not sure if you even can call it a trend anymore. It's it's already kind of even settled, uh, kind of. But um, for example, the in silico prediction. So it's really something that started five, six, seven, ten years ago, I would say, um, to basically uh, give uh, the computation a chance to predict a certain drug. And there are different approaches um, now also strengthened with uh, AlphaFold and um, also some other um, interesting um, algorithms to predict uh, structures of, of proteins. Um, this is um, definitely still an emerging field. Um, I think one has to be fair that uh, so far, um, with uh, some nice exceptions, I have to admit, um, this concept um, should still um, yeah, show uh, the effect, uh, efficiency a little bit more prominent in my eyes. That's my personal opinion, right? Uh, with some exceptions. So there are great companies out there that do an incredible job. Um, but it seems that it's not that easy as everybody said. Um, so you cannot simply take a random algorithm and simply modify it a little bit and then predict the best compound ever. This is you need to be an expert in that. So this has, is, I think, the consequence of what we've learned in the last uh, years. And um, this is something that has not been there in ten years before. It's now uh, something that is modern. And I think that is something that is even more pronounced in future. So I still am convinced that this is uh, something that uh, will uh, give more or will gain more attention even uh, in five to 10 years. So giving the chance to a computational prediction to identify compounds or to help to develop uh, drugs. Uh, reason one is that the algorithm is getting improved and improved. Uh, reason two is that the speed of um, computational, um, uh, you know, um, uh, capacities are increasing a lot. Um, quantum computers are uh, for sure in 10 years uh, a topic that we can discuss. And then, of course, uh, with higher power uh, behind computation, you could even reach more things. So I'm still convinced that this has a fair chance. Mm -hmm. Still, in the end, you need a certain validation. And biophysics is one of those validation tools where you can then see if the predicted compound will um, bind to the target of interest, whatever it is. Um, in general, I see that in, or my opinion is that in 10 years, uh, the landscape of uh, the classical small molecule based drug discovery has changed a lot. I think small molecules will not be the entity of future. I think um, protex will um, um, take over a large part of the, of the market and also biologics. Um, biologics um, are on the run in the moment. It's, I'm not just talking about um, antibodies, but um, other uh, entities uh, which uh, will take more and more uh, market share of the drug discovery realm. This is my personal opinion. And I don't think that the classical small molecule drug discovery uh, has that large share in 10 years as it has now. Yeah, so I think that that's the summary of what I think uh, is other trends. Um, I also think, yeah, I, I missed one thing. I think that um, the focus will also be more and more on uh, structural biology and um, giving structure more uh, relevance in drug discovery. 
um, uh, meaning medicinal chemists will take this even more into account in future. And then, uh, of course, uh, also related to uh, the general topic of other um, life science areas, which take more uh, or will, will, will be more important, are the systematic approaches um, to really see the, the cell as a system with interconnectivity. And I'm very sure that in 10 years, um, the interconnectivity between factors will be more and more relevant as it can be today for different reasons. Also, for example, computation and, and, and these things will improve that. So I think, therefore, in 10 years, drug discovery will be different and mm -hmm. different entities, different approaches, different um, yeah, molecules that are of great interest. Bottom line is, however, that biophysics will still be uh, you know, playing a big role. Yeah, I believe that you mentioned at the beginning simulation and the switch from chemics to biology. Yeah, I didn't find uh, uh, a graphic. I was hoping that to find something quickly while you were speaking. Uh, how they? I, I think this trend is there. I, I first first time that I realized that it was 2015, 16. Mm -hmm. Biologics was, I think, a, a very small part of the market uh, ten years ago, and now it's just growing. And I don't know if it's correct, but I think it's 50-50. Meanwhile, it's uh, yeah. I, I'm not quite sure, but. Uh, I also I I would agree with that that number, even that I don't know it, but I I, I think that could be the case, yeah. So at least uh, uh, what you see when you compare the FDA approvals, when you look at the small molecules and uh, biologics, uh, they take off and, and uh, are really uh, boosting much more than small molecule-based um, FDA improvements. And the, the third part you said systematic. I, would, I was thinking about systemic approach. So one of the questions I had early in life was how, how do disease evolve? So how do diseases mm -hmm. start and what can people do? To stay healthy, in general, generally speaking, I'm also hoping that uh, in 10 years we integrate more uh, early stage uh, mm -hmm. changes in the body. And I, what, what I find really great these days is that a lot of scientists spend time to investigate how lifestyle, for example, also changes mm -hmm. uh, the biological system that, uh, let's say, uh, encourages the body to stay healthy mm -hmm. <laughs> and science can make it just better together with the pharma industry. I mean, there are so many, so many things playing around with nature. What, what I heard very often in the last couple of days and also with a few recordings was, uh, which I have hard time believe, to be honest, uh, simulating the entire drug development value chain. So it's just, uh, putting, uh, a compound biologics or small molecule through a simulation and, uh, do all tests and trials within the simulation um what, what what's your opinion it's just it's just guesswork yeah? it's, it's it's not science anymore it's just being the fun part of the conversation mm -hmm. where we can just bluntly guess and label it as it's uh, a best estimate and just making fun here uh do you think this is possible that uh, at one point in time with quantum computers uh it will be possible to simulate everything to speed up the drug development process mm -hmm. so it's just putting an idea into a computer and let him let him or her do the calculations and at the end of the day you get your new drug out of a manufacturer uh, out of the out of the factory now i have it so let, let's assume this is true um mm. i i would say that uh human nature will simply not uh allow that a computer will just do everything and we want to see the proof mm. 
So I think that at some point we will need to see the proof and uh, at some point uh, it has to be validated. And at least in the later stages, I doubt that any prediction can really come up with a talk study. People will want to see this. They want to see how a cell uh, is acting when it really touches that, device, that that molecule, whatever it is. I doubt that uh, in, in this point latest uh, that any uh, human nature would allow uh, a prediction to be mm. as valid as an experiment because here it's about life and i think also the authorities will simply not accept this i would agree that in the first space uh, drug discovery very early one i could imagine that a certain level of uh, automatization is there with uh, predictions because nobody's harmed if it's wrong but latest at the point where a human being is harmed or could be harmed or a cell could be harmed at that point there has to be a proof and at this point, um, the prediction is out of the game. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, if, if, if I come from the economic side and I calculated a lot of predictions um, in really simple models. So the capitalistic system, so we were talking about it earlier in the conversation, um, predicting the future of economy of a, of a company in a, in a stable economy is pretty easy. You have a few parameters you can fiddle around when you just can assume that the customer demand will stay the <laughs> same. But it's impossible to predict disruptions. For example, I was in the mobile industry for a couple of months in 2004-05 to make a company more attractive for a takeover. And... Nobody, I think, in the industry here in Europe expected that Steve Jobs will put a smartphone on the market that just destroys all smart all, all mobile phone producers here in Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, this is unpredictable. When I think about biological systems, they are very complex. And a lot of things like sleep, like nutrition, bad relationships, just change the composition of the body slightly and make the body more... Uh, prone to become sick seem to simulate that these this, this subtle parameters that have an influence on the biological system in a computer i just I have a hard time imagining it me too honestly even though i i actually i do come from the epigenetics realm mm -hmm. so the regulation of genes um on not on a dna basis on, on a but on a level above the dna and so it's proven that there are several regulations which most of the time come over generations, um, not necessarily in an in a organism itself, but maybe in the siblings, where a certain uh, change has happened. Um, and it could be bad nutrition. It could be these kind of things. So here there are absolutely proofs. And I, I, I absolutely believe in that uh, this is important for you and also your siblings to be healthy and to take care about that. I also do believe that it, it also has consequences for yourself. I believe that. But I am sharing your opinion. I am not sure if you can simulate that kind of complex system as a cell is. I know that climate is also extremely difficult to predict. I know that a lot of things are highly difficult to predict. But I still believe that a cell, I mean, you have several billion cells in your body and they each interact with each other. And uh, so there's so many overlaps and I, I simply, maybe I'm, too short in mind to really believe in that, but I don't. Yeah, with, I with, don't quantum, with quantum physics, the, the, the funny thing was that um, 
it was in the second half of the 90s when I was talking with martial arts teachers about how to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. And their recommendation basically was drink more water, mm-hmm. uh, sleep more, mm-hmm. and exercise. Mm-hmm. And have positive social relationships and, of course, hygiene. So it was basically these this, this five elements. And it was not enough for me. So I said, where is the proof? So mm-hmm. where are the studies that uh, prove that what you say is right? Yeah. And there was none. I mean, the late 90s or the, 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 the mid-90s the, was, was this time when the internet was not really very evolved. Getting studies from somewhere in the world meant... Uh, Asking a lot of questions to people to find mm-hmm. the right experts uh, who is doing a study. And now we have Google. And whenever <laughs> I want to find a study, I just ask Google and say, give me a sleep study. And the great thing is that what they said back in the 90s through observation, basically, through centuries of observation in martial arts, is now proven right by scientists mm-hmm. that uh, in studies. It's a little bit later. Um, just to simulate that... Um, I don't, I don't know if it's if it's possible. So when you, when you go down the, the disease route, then how does new smart molecules or any biological approach affect a system for the first time? There is no information there. So with, with, uh, with sleep in martial arts, basically they had centuries of observation, centuries mm-hmm. of data, mm-hmm. um, simulating something new when you throw a new small molecule into a body. Mm-hmm. I think there's also maybe this 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 topic about um, teaching an algorithm with existing data mm. and creating uh, data. I think there's a discrepancy, right? So I'm not sure if you can create something new. Uh, you can teach on basis of observations, as you uh, explained, but I'm I'm not sure how the translation would be to create something new then. Uh, if we call about this drug discovery, uh, you know, prediction things, I, I, I'm not an expert in this, but I, th- I think I think it was Jack Ma from Alibaba who said that we should train our children in creativity because mm-hmm. creativity cannot be simulated. Mm-hmm. A- everything else can be automated, but not creativity. And it would mean, in my opinion, it's, it's a philosophical question. Maybe can AIs be creative? Can they be trained to be as creative as humans? I would love to have a conversation with an AI guy about this. I, I don't know, uh, but I, I think I, I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. sure because it's an algorithm that learns from something, but what's the, there's a fundamental difference between learning and then having a own effort to be creative. There is a difference. Mm. Not sure, but that would be super interesting. You should get somebody from the AI, AI world and, and discuss that. And I, I, I will listen to the podcast several times. I promise. <laughs> if you if you if you know an AI guy, uh, I mean, I know one is. Actually, I, yes, actually, I I also know one. If if uh, so, uh, send it, send him, send him or her my way, so we yeah, can have a conversation. I'll, I'll do great. that. That would be. I mean, it's a really fascinating philosophic question. Absolutely. I mean, um, I loved playing when I was in school. It's the eighties. Um, I loved playing chess, and this was also the time when the first chess computers arrived on the mm-hmm. market. Yeah. And then I stopped for three decades. And for some reason, I think I saw a podcast about chess. Um, I'm, I'm now interested in chess and a lot changed these days. And there are a lot of uh, bots on the market. There are a lot of uh, chess computers, chess programs on the market who are even better than human beings. <laughs> but it doesn't impress me. So when I see, okay, this is a bot or a computer who... Uh, can beat uh, Magnus Carlsen, for example, the best chess player currently in the world, as far as I observed it. Uh, 
it it doesn't change anything but what created emotional uh, what created emotions in me was this discussion between Niemann and Car uh, Magnus Carlsen mm -hmm. uh whether uh this this other chess player Neumann uh this other chess player cheated in a game or not so yeah. I find this very attractive when two people uh wants to find out who has more skill in a certain area and I admire people for uh having the focus and the time and the nerves to become proficient in one area, in one walk yeah. of life. This, this, I think, is attractive. When a machine achieves something, that's, uh, for me, it's not very attractive. Yeah, I, I think it was, uh, from the first instant, I have to admit that I was very impressed. So I think Deep Blue was the first mm -hmm. of those uh, chess um, computers that uh, was beating uh, a chess uh, master. Kasparov um, uh, uh, or so. Kasparov, or how, yeah. I, I think it was a Russian chess player. So I was impressed because it was like in the, I don't know, 90s, 2000, yeah. maybe. I was like, wow, uh, the machine, the robot is better than us. So it was the first time that I thought, okay, uh, something that we created is better in something uh, than, than we are. But on the other hand side, a car is also faster than you, right? It mm. drives faster than you. Or there's so many things that are better than we are as human. And then I thought, yeah, okay. So here it was so fascinating because it was the first time that something like from the mindset here was 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 uh, mindset uh, was better than than the, than a, a chess player good mm. one but um i still have some kind of fascination about this uh, but i do understand your point um it's more interesting if uh, humans which are on the same level discuss about that because at some point you can train very likely every robot to be better in some aspect the human has Except creativity. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator was also in the 80s. So maybe, maybe we will see. We will see. Um, Thomas, I could continue having fun with you and uh, talking about various aspects of life. Uh, I think we are drifting off in the fun part of a conversation. Yeah. Um, let me ask you the final question, two final questions. Uh, is mm -hmm. there anything that you would like to talk about in this podcast that I didn't ask you so far? Um, no, I think uh, it was great fun. You you asked really interesting questions, um, and um, I have nothing that I really wanted to add more. I think we have, we found a good solution of having discussed a cer certain trends, certain landscapes, um, general thing. Um, also giving Tubind and um, you know the company a certain room. I think it was very nice. So I enjoyed it a lot. Me too, me too. I had fun, had fun in this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, then my last question is when someone who listens to the podcast uh, or watches the video on YouTube or on LinkedIn or on Facebook later on wants to reach out to you mm -hmm. to engage with your company to find out whether your solutions are the right solutions for their companies, what's the best way to engage with you? And so we are um, a young company, so social media homepage, um, these kind of contacts are easy. There's contacts form that you can easily read out to us. Um, the info uh, at tubind.com email address, it's easy to reach out. But of course, we are also open uh, for classical calls, phone calls. And um, uh, I'm really happy if somebody reaches out to us. Um, and uh, um, I, I hope I could give the impression that we are open-minded uh, staff here. And uh, I promise that we have, first of all, listen well, and then we will try to help as good as we can. That's what I promise. And um, yeah, 
please reach out to us. It's a pleasure. Fantastic, fantastic points at the end. So you're a modern company also starting the explanation how to reach out to you via social media. Uh, are you still doing real life meetings as well? Yes. Um, so I think that's still very important. Um, uh, I think uh, having the direct, com I mean, there, there has to be a certain chemistry between people, right? And you, mm. for both ends. So, I mean, we also enjoy working with people. And for us, it's also important to have the right chemistry with the people, not just the people with us, but we also. So this is a give and take. It's a relationship between people. And so both people has, or both sides has to have to be a certain comfort in, in talking to each other, being open, being transparent, being honest with each other. And this has to be built up. And of course, um, meetings in, in person um, uh, have still, I would say, uh, some, some level above uh, the social media. So having a handshake, having a good conversation and, and these things, it's, it's important. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. We need both things, social media and real life. A uh, good mixture of that uh, saves time and creates connections and relationships. Uh, Thomas, thank you very much for your time. Thanks a lot for this great explanation about what biophysics is, how it evolved and developed in the last 10 years and future predictions. Mm -hmm. I wish you and your team all the best uh, for the final days of this year. <laughs> and... Uh, I think it's, can we say already we had, uh, we are for Christmas. I wish you a Merry Christmas and a great start <laughs> into 2023. So it's the first time that I wish that. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Christy, a lot for the really, really nice open discussion. And uh, it was a great pleasure and a great concept that you have. Um, I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Also Thank you very, very much. You have a good time. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. <laughs> Did you like the show? Then make sure that you like, comment, and share these episodes with people who might benefit from it. Thank you very much.